check this out today. We just want to tell you, welcome home. Welcome home. Hope it feels like that. We're going to start a new series today called The Arrival of Joy. The Arrival of Joy. I was beginning to think through. I just had this idea of joy in my brain as we were kind of coming into the season and and um, was talking with, with a friend and, and we were just processing this idea of joy. And he's like, it's really like the arrival of joy. The, it's Christ coming. And I'm like, that's it's a perfect way to say it, Christ showing up. His arrival brought us deep and lasting joy. But I think this is a term that gets thrown around a lot. I think we, you know, like, you know, celebrate the joy of the season. And I think we begin to associate it with happiness, like happiness and joy are kind of the same thing. And as I was thinking about this, they're really not. And I can describe this best at Disney World, right? The happiest place on earth. Um, because, and I think that, that the happiest place, isn't that what they call it? Isn't that their tagline, the happiest place on earth? Because there's a difference between happiness and joy. Like The reason that's the happiest place on earth is it's the happiest in the short moments that you're riding the ride, but it's not so much the happiest moments when you're in the line waiting for two hours for that. There's, but there is this an anticipation that builds up in the seasons where the happiness isn't there. We'll talk about that more in a second, but... Like with, I know as a parent taking my kids to Disney, like we have these moments of happiness that we experience, the thrill of the ride, and then we have all this other frustrating time of our kids in the middle of the afternoon saying, I'm so tired, and breaking down in meltdowns. Like if you've walked around any theme park or amusement park or even maybe the mall, you've seen kids breaking down and like whatever happiness was, happiness was there on, you know, Big Thunder Mountain has now gone right? The difference with that is, is jo- like with happiness and joy is joy is, it doesn't matter if we're sitting in the line, like somehow, like in the anticipation of that one hour, I'm just enjoying my time with my kids, with my wife. And I'm, I'm not trying to rush it. I'm just going to enjoy the moment, even when they're breaking down the middle. My joy is not going to be sapped away. And, and, and what I, I kind of sense across the body of Christ is that we don't quite understand this concept of joy. And what I hope to do through this series is, first of all, point is that Jesus brought that joy in a way like we, we would never know and, and never understood before till he came to this earth to help us experience it such a way through deep, lasting, eternal relationship. Um, and just to get away from this, this happiest place on earth kind of spirituality where we're constantly riding the highs and lows, but this joy provides this constancy of enjoying the entire experience. And like, there's so many places, like consider it all joy when you face trials. Like what else could be said other than that God is going to develop in us a maturity in our faith that no matter what's going on, our joy will not be removed. And Nehemiah points us to this and says, this is a big deal. And Nehemiah was speaking of his own life. He said, the joy of the Lord is my strength. That basically, if we've been riding just this happiness and we feel like we're on this giant roller coaster of a spiritual walk, which honestly, we feel that emotionally, but joy is this underlying kind of um, undergirding that lifts us up and it's this deep knowledge and awareness of a relationship with God that lasts every circumstance. And so I hope to dive into this a little more as we were talking about waiting in line 
Um, it made me think about Advent and what some of you grew up maybe in a more liturgical setting or you follow the church calendar and you heard this word Advent or maybe you've seen that around you like, I don't even know what Advent is. So I just want to break that in. We're not like, we don't religiously follow church calendar stuff, but we, we, we do like to bring it up and talk about it. There's a lot of value in understanding where we've come from and in these patterns that we see in the Christian year, if I can just put it like that. Advent comes from a Latin word, Adventus which comes from a Greek word, which they both mean coming. They mean coming. And so we really begin to see Advent start to take on an identity in about the fourth century. And uh, Latin believers, Spanish believers, begin to celebrate Epiphany. And so they'd have the, a feast of Epiphany here in January coming up. And that's a time where they, they wouldn't, they'd celebrate the birth of Christ, but they'd also celebrate um, the baptism of Christ and Jesus' first miracle at Cana. And they would celebrate the baptism of new believers. Like that was the big thing. That was the big buildup is the baptism of new believers, the Feast of Epiphany in January. And so they just kind of, there was this anticipation. It was a season of Advent, of coming and expectation. It's like we can't wait to celebrate with new believers. And so here's a, just a shameless plug for those of you that are maybe in a new step in your journey or God's been drawing you and saying, hey, you, you, you need to be baptized, or, or, or maybe you've been in a place and you've recommitted your life to Christ, and you're just sold out to him, and you want to make that declaration, and we're going to be baptizing folks right here next Sunday, and I just can't wait to just celebrate that. Come on, let's just give God praise for that. It's a celebration, and this Advent idea, it's a season of anticipation. It's a season of expectation. It's a season of celebration. It began to take on a a different identity. A couple centuries later, they began to associate not just um, the coming of Christ, but they really began to focus on his second coming, that it was a season of anticipation that Christ will return. So even in this season, as much as we're celebrating the, the, the first coming of Christ in flesh, we almost anticipate and long for and groan for his return to rebuild and restore in new heaven and new earth, and so we just anticipate and we raise our level of expectation of what God's going to do in our life, and we just celebrate with new believers and those that are rededicating and recommitting themselves to Christ. So that's kind of what that's about. Later in the Middle Ages, it would take on just a sole focus of the birth of Christ as we kind of know it today is this season, and so yeah, we'll, we'll just leave that there, just a little thoughts on, on Advent, and uh, we're going to start today in Luke chapter 1. We see the two birth narratives in Matthew and in Luke, and so most time if you hear, like, that's the only places we are, that's, that's where the birth narratives are. And so we're going to begin <clears throat> with this story um, with a, of a, a girl named Mary, a young girl named Mary and her cousin named Elizabeth, and, and they had been separated because Elizabeth was pregnant with a child, and so she, she went off and kind of went in hiding about this, and she was... She was pregnant with the, the man we know as John the Baptist. She was, and her cousin Mary would come with child. And so we're going to pick up on this text and we'll read through it together. I want to highlight one passage and then just unpack that for the rest of our time together. Verse 39, verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and she hurried because the angel had just come to her and said, hey, you're going to have a baby. She's like, that's impossible. I haven't had sex. So she's trying to process this, but she's saying, you know, however you want, I'm the Lord's servant. However you want to do it, God, uh, may it be to me as you've said. Then the angel left her. That was verse 38. Verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill 
country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. This particular translation doesn't say the word joy, but most translations say leaped with joy in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's finish out the passage here through verse 45. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. Why? But why am I so favored that, my, that the mother of my, my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. What a powerful passage there. It's interesting for me to think about this one phrase that this baby, John the Baptist, who for some of you, you'll, you'll, you'll know that John the Baptist was a forerunner to Jesus, that he came preaching repentance of sins and began to pave the way for Christ and saying, hey, he's coming, and people begin to think of John the Baptist as that, and he's like, no, like I'm not even worthy to tie his sandals up. He said, but there's one that's coming who will come, and he will baptize, and, and he will set free, and he will bring salvation, but I'm just declaring repentance. Come back to the Lord. Trust and believe. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises. And we just finished off last week. That's kind of where we finished off is believing that what God started in you, he's going to be faithful to complete it. And so we just are believing that God's going to fulfill his promises. So I want to just unpack this idea. And as I think about this, I mean, there's a baby jumping, a baby kicks, right? It's what babies do but somehow in this moment, it seems that she describes this as leaping for joy. And was she just being emotional in the moment? Or did, John the, did something really hit the, the ears of this child in womb that she would, or that he would jump and leap and know that he has heard that Jesus is coming and that the purpose on his life would be fulfilled by the purpose in his life? Jesus that would come to save and set free. And I just think it's such an interesting thing to think about. But regardless, I think there's an amazing conversation and thought process for us to dive into today. And I begin to ask myself, have I heard that sound? And, and have I heard the sound in which I leap for joy and I jump for joy when I just hear about the coming of Christ? I've, I've been honest at different times in my life and, and hear um, about part of my journey, which is when I was a believer, but I didn't enjoy being a believer. Where I, in fact, I actually uh, got annoyed when people would talk about Jesus. Come on, you know something's wrong with your heart when that's the situation. When I'd hear someone talk about a testimony of God's faithfulness, it would just make me uncomfortable. Almost, and I, and I began to reflect and, and, and think that I wasn't responding. I, I, I had not fully heard the sound of the coming of my Messiah, that there was something far deeper in my faith that God had to root out. There was something in the foundations of my faith that he needed uh, to destroy, in order to experience him and encounter him. And so my first question, I'm just going to ask you three questions today, and we're going to unpack them. 
First is just, have you heard the sound yet? Like, or, or do you respond maybe in a similar way that, I don't want to, you know, it, it's tough. I, I get this Jesus feel, and we'll talk about Jesus here, but when it's out there, if it's in my home, it just frustrates me, and I don't want to talk about it. I'm not responding in the same way. I think the second question is, you know, how are we responding in this room? How are we responding in our own life? to the sound of Jesus, not just in this moment, in this kind of gathering time, but on a daily basis. How am I responding to Christ, that he is, has come with the good news, and, and he will come again? How am I responding? I think it's a very, very simple thought process for us today, and, and I just want you to be honest with yourself as we dive in here. And what I want to help us walk us through today is is how do we cultivate joy? How do we cultivate a joyful response to Christ? Where it's not, I'm, I'm not just going to do this church thing. I'm not just going to do this serving thing in the local body. I'm not just going to do it begrudgingly. I'm not just going to do it out of habit. But I'm, I've experienced joy. And my response to Christ, my response to his love poured out to me, is a response of joy, not a response of duty. And I think that's where many of us, we find ourselves, and what we do is we get sucked into a gospel that's not the gospel that Jesus has brought us, of joy and of good news, tidings of good joy. It, it, it's not that, it's, it's this response of duty, and so I guess that's maybe the easiest way to ask it. Are we responding in duty? Are we responding in joy? That I love to respond to you, Lord. I love to hear your voice, and I just want to give you three simple thoughts here on cultivating joy. In our life. The first is an encounter with the grace of God. An encounter with the grace of God. In order to cultivate joyful response, then we need to have an encounter with the goodness and the grace of God deep and in a very personal and intimate way. We were talking about happiness, the difference between happiness and joy a few moments ago. And I would just say, happiness really comes from our external circumstances. And joy comes from an internal encounter. Happiness is coming from external circumstances. And joy is from an internal encounter that nothing can take away. It doesn't matter how brutal you are to me. It doesn't matter how terrible this life gets. But I'm going to... I still have, at the end of the day, take my house, you know, take, take whatever you have, take the church, take, you know, God forbid, I don't want to be like Job, but, you know, losing my kids, losing my family, and I'd still have the joy of the Lord. It's hard to kind of process that, but like in the deepest roots of the foundation of our identity in Christ should be that, that everything can be root, removed. All of our external circumstances can be falling apart, yet we remain in joyful hope and expectation that God is good and he'll restore and rebuild. Um, does, joy doesn't, doesn't fluctuate with the seasons. The, the seasons may change. You may have a, a season of, uh, we, we, if you were back in our summer series of rhythms where we talked about the season, joy is not fluctuating in pruning season or in harvest season. It's just maintained and it's this steady enjoyment of our relationship with God, but I think it starts with something that I want to unpack for just a moment, which is the word intimacy. Because many people have had encounters with God, and maybe those are few and far between, but I wonder just how many of those are intimate encounters with God. 
Um, intimacy is this very interesting word that most of the time when we think about it, we think about sexuality. Most of the time when we think about it, we think about super deep conversations. But intimacy, as Dallas Willard says, is simply shared experience. So me and my wife are, are going th- through life, and, and we'll, honestly, we'll catch ourselves in times where we're not engaging intimately. And I'm not talking about anything about sexuality, but I'm talking about where we're letting one another into our experience. Because that's the difference. Like, we have these conscious experiences one after the next of work and, and church and hanging out with my friends and doing this and this family encounter. And there's all these kind of experiences one after another, but I begin to experience intimacy when it's shared. Not that we're just doing it together, but we're letting one another into the experience. And it's a, it's a shared experience. Like my wife and I, a couple of years ago, we, we, I, I surprised her and we ran off to Europe together, just like kids. We ran off to Europe together, and, and, and I think in a lot of ways, like we, some of the things that we had lost in the past couple of years, God just really began to restore some of that intimacy, because it was a shared experience, and, and our, our guards were down, and, and our kids were very, very, very far away, <laughs> and we were just experiencing this together, and, and I think something that we've developed, honestly, in the past five years of our marriage is letting each other in. I'll be honest, for the first half of our marriage, we didn't let each other in very often. We would, but it was only when we absolutely had to. And that's something that with God, we're the same way. It's not just with our personal encounters. With God, it's the same way. We come and we have this experience, this worship experience, or we come in and we have these small group experiences, but I don't know that we're encountering the grace of God every time and saying, you know what? That wasn't just for me on the outside. Like that rocked me on the inside. That spoke to me deeply on the inside. And God, I, and I just want to let you in. I, I just love the idea of, of letting him in because I think Taryn used to use this phrase a long time ago, um, we, cause we joke about it in our relationship when we go to like a real fancy neighborhood. And, um, I, I, I worked uh, privately for a, a, a couple of family teaching music and they lived in what we call a gated, gated community. It's like their, their house has a gate and then there's a gate at the front. There's just several gates at the gated, gated community. And so many times their hearts are like that. Like check it at the door and, and we don't let God in. He said, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. What's so interesting about this idea of grace and experiencing and encountering the grace of God and joy is that the words that Matthew and Luke use, the two texts that we're going to be looking at in the birth narrative, look at this. True joy comes from the grace of God. The word joy in Greek has two forms. First is the word chada. It's a root word connected here. It means joy, but the root word is grace. So it's a derivative of grace. It's a type. When we experience God's grace, it re- the response is joy. I think that, and, and, and Matthew uses this throughout his gospel, but you, Luke uses another one, and it's not because he wanted to move it away from the original um, understanding that it was connected to grace. No, it was only like to turn the volume up on that. He's like, yeah, it's extreme joy. <laughs> like the baby jumped with extreme joy and exceeding gladness, just at the sound of the mother of our coming Messiah, of our Savior. And I think it's so powerful to see it connected in the text in this way. So how, how in our lives can we cultivate this? I think it's encountering the grace of God. 
encountering, an intimate encounter with the grace of God. And it's not just a one-time thing. God is constantly leaning in and saying, hey, will you let me share this experience with you? Will you let me walk this season with you? And for most of us in the room, like, nah, good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. This big, scary V word of vulnerability. And why, why are we afraid to be vulnerable with God? We're so prideful in thinking that we're hiding something from him when he sent his son and laid it all on the line to just says, hey, I just want to walk this with you. I just want to experience this with you. And what happens is when we let each other in, in all of a sudden, man, there's grace and grace abounds all the more because I'm allowing it to abound. I'm not stiff-arming it. My response is open and longing for that intimacy. And it's just paying attention. It's listening. It's slowing down the pace to say, hey, God, I'm, I, I want to do this with you. God, I want to encounter your grace in this moment. I remember early on in uh, our uh, parenting journey, uh, Taryn was struggling. Um, I was sort of too busy to be struggling too much. Um, she, she was a single mom more often than I, I really would want to be honest and admit, but she was kind of doing it a lot herself. Um, I, I was very busy, very busy. And she was taught, I remember her having conversations with other moms that were uh, f- further along in their journey. She said, how do you do it? She, and they would just simply say, there's grace for you in this season. Like, whatever you need in this season, God's grace, there, there's plenty of God's grace to go around. And so for whatever season you're going, there's plenty of God's grace. So just let him in, encounter his grace, slow down, and know that there is plenty there. Just a, just a little promo thing in January and all of next year. We've got a lot of cool things planned for next year. It's just going to be huge and enormous for the growth and the spiritual growth of our church. And I just, I can't wait to share so much of it with you. One thing I'll let you know about uh, January 1st through 21st, we're going to be participating in, in um, a season of prayer and fasting, 21 days of prayer and fasting. We'll be guiding you through that and talking to you what that is. And it's not, you know, not everybody has to participate. It's up to you what, what you want to do. Uh, and there's different ways to do that. I will be talking about that and teaching you along the way. Um, <clears throat> but we're going to be doing a series called Whisper. It's based off of a book of Mark Batterson, and it's just this idea of learning to hear the voice of God through the scriptures, learning to hear the voice of God through prayer, and, all, and through creation, all the ways that God is speaking, whisper. And we're just going to be tuning in just to hear God's voice in 2018 like we never have before. So I'm just really excited about it. We're going to be doing a Bible reading journey together that I think you'll find really, really captivating. And so second thing is not just encountering the grace of God, but repentance. So that's kind of weird, man. Talk about joy and repentance. Um, these are intimately connected. They're intimately connected. There's a connection between the tears of repentance and the tears of joy. There's an intimate connection between the tears of repentance and the tears of joy. Sadly, we don't talk about repentance enough. Because um, here's, here's the truth. Jesus paid it once and for all, and we repent of our sins like we're washed in the blood, right? And we don't have to keep going back and trying to make sacrifices and praying longer prayers and, and, and whatever. No, but there is a matter of a posture in our heart when we, when we miss it, 
when we neglect the grace of God, when we stiff arm his grace in our life, when we represent or, or we don't represent him the way that we should as his children, there is a posture in which we return to the Lord. That we see the prophets constantly reaching out and crying out to the people of Israel, return to the Lord, return to the Lord. It wasn't because they had, ha- had actually forgotten about them. It's just that they had practically forgotten about him. Does that make sense? It's not that you've actually, you know, gone off on this, you know, terror and like really, but we've practically done it and, and, and we disregard this deep truth. You know the first word that Jesus ever preached? Repent. You know the last words that he spoke to his disciples? Go and preach repentance. And I would just ask you in your life, like when's the last time that you had some time set aside to just slow down, say, God, I'm sorry. I've neglected you. I have to do it with my kids all the time. You know, when, when I, daddy raises his voice or, or daddy's been busy this week and, we, and, I, and I said that we would go get ice cream and then that night I had to stay late and we, we weren't able to go get ice cream and I have to apologize to my kids when I fall short. It's not because I have to, Right? It doesn't seem like I have to, but I know in keeping my relationship with my son, I want them to know that I'm, I'm really sorry. And if I keep doing that in a pattern, I have to begin to question myself. And my son's going to begin to question, Dad, are you really sorry? Because you've apologized for me the same thing a dozen times this week. And after a while, he just begins to think, no, he doesn't really mean it. I don't be, and, I begin, and, and he begins to not even trust the words I say. And I wonder, like, God, to us, if we've said that, if we've been repenting of saying, are we, are, we re, are we really sorry? Have we got, are we just saying we're sorry and we feel some guilt on it and like that's our kind of appeasement, God, I'm really sorry about that, and then we move on? Or have we drawn to the place of repentance that maybe even tears would be shed? I'm truly sorry. I'm going to walk away from that sin. I'm going to walk away from that prideful posture. I think Psalm 51 presents this in a really, really beautiful way for us. The psalmist begins Psalm 51 with verse 1, have mercy on me. I'm sinful and I, I have been since birth. But by verse 10, he begins to come around. He says, create in me clean heart. In verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation. I love that he, he says your salvation and not my salvation. So many times we begin to build our foundation on a, building a salvation for ourselves and our works. And this is not, it's your salvation that you brought to us. But it starts with just this crying out for mercy, God, that, that I know I'm sinful. I know I've made a mistake and repentance is at the very heart of cultivating joy in our life. If we want an expedient path to join our life, then let's have sustained repentance. There's no more expedient path to joy than sustained repentance. And that's not just saying sorry to say I'm sorry, but it's setting aside time in a moment. Like, God, I'm going to think through here, and I'm going to do the painful work of repentance. And I don't know if some of us can get there today, and some of us might need to get there privately in our own bedrooms this week. And some of you have maybe never had that time set aside where you just sit down and slow down and, and repent. 
It's a humbling moment. But I believe what follows that humbling moment is where God, we can pray a prayer, God, create a clean heart in me and restore the joy of your salvation. Because what repentance does, just like Adam and Eve in the garden with their sins, you know what they did is they hid. They hid. They hid because they knew they were ashamed of what they had done. They had shamed of where they had been and what they had said and the mistake they had made. I don't know if you've ever been there. If you've been there, they were ashamed. And what happens in our lives is we continue to carry that shame. We continue to walk around and God's, you know, we're, God's walking in the garden near us, but we're, we're just hiding because we hear him walking. We know he's close. We know we can reach out but we're just hiding. And what repentance does is it brings us out of isolation behind the tree. With hands up and say, I've been sinful since birth. Have mercy on me. And all of a sudden, where we've been in isolation, we can now experience intimacy because we're not hiding anymore. With God, the one that we, we can't hide from anyway. It's just like, it's a fool's game. It's like playing hide and seek with my son and he hides behind the curtains and his feet are sticking out and it's like, dude, what are you doing? You're terrible at this game. You know, it's that, it's that same idea, but that's what we do in our relationship with God. We're ashamed of what we said or what we did or that season of our life or a long time ago or what happened to us or what was done. And then we just cover up and then all of a sudden we find ourselves in isolation and in sorrow and in depression. And all of a sudden, when we come out and we realize that God's grace is enough for what we've gone through, for where we've been, for what we've done, when we realize and believe that it's enough and we come out of hiding, we move from isolation to intimacy and we can begin to experience joy again. And so wherever you're at in this place, if you're walking through a season of isolation or if you've walked through that, come out. Come out and experience intimacy with God. Come out and experience intimacy with his people again. And the joy of his salvation in our life will be restored. The last thing is abiding in Christ. So encountering the grace of God, repentance, and abiding in Christ. <clears throat> you may feel like, hey, pastor, you talk a lot about this, and that's good. I hope I do, because it's really, really important. And I think in this season, of all seasons, it's important to highlight it. Abiding in Christ really comes from this idea of Luke chapter 15, remain in me, or John, excuse me, John chapter 15. Remain in me and I'll remain in you. You can, apart from me, you can bear no good fruit. That remaining in him, so an abiding in him. It's a constant dwelling in Christ. And really, I think this comes in, in three manifest ways. One is a daily relationship with God. I just want you to be honest with yourself for just a second. Is your relationship with God daily? Is it weekly? Is it seasonal? Is it, you know, where, where's your, how, how would you gauge that? If you had to mark it on a multiple choice, is your relationship with God daily, weekly, every other daily, monthly, seasonally? It's a daily relationship that he's calling us into, not a weekly religion, a weekly gathering for a religious experience, but a daily relationship to remain in. And the second one is daily relationships with the body of Christ. 
we know and understand and begin to experience. In fact, I don't know that we can be spiritually mature and not have intimate relationships within the body of Christ. I, I, just, I, I just don't think it's possible. I think the way God has designed it, if we look into the body, like it's like a, an arm surviving without the body. It's, it's not going to, it's a foot surviving. It's, it's not. Those of you that are in the, uh, it doesn't take someone to be in the, in the medical field to know the foot is not going to survive without the leg and the leg attached to the body. And when we try to do it alone, when, we, when we're in isolation by ourselves, we're not abiding in Christ either because he's the head of the body. You can't have the head. The, the hand doesn't attach to the head. <laughs> you guys, me and Jesus got all the, No, no, it, it's one in the same. And if we're going to cultivate joy in our life, then we need to abide in Christ in a daily relationship. And, and I believe a daily relationship with his body and, and so, much, so many of us in the room have so much church baggage. We've got so much breach of trust that that is a mountain that feels too big to climb for us. It feels too big. And I'm not asking you to come up here and air your dirty laundry like I regularly do every week and telling you, hey, I've missed it as a dad this week. I'm not asking you to do that. I'm asking you to find one person and make a daily contact with them. I'm like, hey, just build a relationship. And it doesn't mean, you know, and I think sometimes we just want to tiptoe into things and it takes us too long to tiptoe into the water and we don't get to enjoy the fruits of intimacy instead of just diving in. Instead of going one level one to level two, like, hey, if I'm going to trust you, I'm just going to trust you and I'm going to dive in and we're going to see how this thing goes. And so I just want to challenge you out of your comfort zone and pray that God would send that friend, that, that person that you trust. I'm not asking you to go, you know, establish some intimate relationship with a person you don't trust, but God's probably put someone in your life right now that you trust and you could call on every day, but you're just not. And it takes an intention, intentionality to being with relationships with Christ. I don't think you can be spiritually mature without it. The third thing is daily spiritual disciplines, daily spiritual disciplines. When we hear that word, it's kind of overwhelming. Um, if you want to hear uh, just an, or if you want to read an incredible work, Dallas Willard's book on spiritual disciplines is, is incredible. And he basically goes through two types of spiritual disciplines. There's, and most of us, we get caught up in the spiritual disciplines of activity. Spiritual disciplines of activity. The, like studying and prayer and, and worship and fellowship and giving, all these things that we're supposed to do as Christians. In fact, some of you, that's all you know about Christianity is all these things you're supposed to do. But our relationship with God is way more than that. But there's also disciplines of letting go. It's where we're actually relinquishing something, letting go of something in order to gain something new. And, and we need both of them in order to balance out our hearts that might be works-driven and knowing that it does not um, uh, rest on our own shoulders. But I bring this up in what's not a, you know, a warm, fuzzy type of idea of spiritual disciplines. And these are basically just things, they're, they're regular practices. And so if you'll flip the slide, and, and I, I've got a list here. There's seven and six. There's a total of 13. Disciplines of letting go are things like silence and solitude, fasting, frugality, chastity, secrecy. 
disciplines of activity being study and worship and prayer and fellowship, confession, submission. These things we do as opposed to these things we choose not to do. We choose to not partake in food. So I, I, I relinquish my desire for something that I might gain something new in the first 21 days of the year that would sustain me and bring me into a, two, like a year that I've never experienced spiritually. And, and these are not things that are da- like all daily disciplines. We're going to do all of them, right? I'm going to make sure I study them. I'm going to make sure I fellowship. And these aren't a checklist. These, these are, are more so, I think, in our life and, and in our relationship with God, if we'll slow down, being like, God, what, what, what are you calling me to? What would be obedience to draw close to you today? Hey, I just need you to just go be still. And all of a sudden, like all my activity for the Lord tells me just to be still, that it doesn't rely solely on me, and I learn to rest. And when I'm putting all of my emotions, and I'm really dealing with my guilt and shame through overeating, or, or, or eating that, that whole thing of Oreos every night, you know what I mean? When, when, when I'm doing that, fasting begins to just beat my body into submission, be like, man, you're going to all the wrong places to come out of hiding. And these aren't things that, hey, to do all the time, but I bet if you looked at this list, I bet you're like, man, I, I think I need to really lean into two or three of those this week. And based on your personality, maybe based on your journey, it might be some disciplines of letting go. For you, it might be some disciplines of activity based on where you're at right now and what you're going through. And so maybe just having these somewhere just quick and hurry and studying on what secrecy means. Secrecy is just like where you constantly feel like you're trying in a conversation point the attention to yourself. It's pointing to what Jesus said, like, hey, don't let the left hand or the left hand know what the right hand's doing. When you pray, don't pray out loud when everybody can hear you. Pray in secret. When you give, don't give so everybody knows about it. Give in secret. Frugality, if you're a person that, like, you, you love to spend, right? Money's just flying. A season of frugality to know that, God, it's just stuff. It's just stuff. There is a season in my life, this, some, most of you know this, some of you know this, this, we got broken into a couple times this week. They stole $15,000, $2,000, something like that, worth of, not money, but uh, equipment and computers and different things. We're still running the totals on, on whatever thing's going to cost, but... It stinks. It stinks. I was frustrated about it. There's seasons I would have been furious and angry at those people. There's seasons I would have been furious that we lost stuff. There's seasons I would have been worried that God wouldn't supply our needs. I would constantly be moved to worry. We had this happen And I feel like I should be one that should be more mad and more worried, more whatever. But you know what? I'm not about any of it. Because people need Jesus. (laughs) I just know that the problem isn't the person. It's the sin in their life. It's the fact that they don't know Jesus. I've gone through too many seasons where I've seen God supply every need according to his riches and glory. So I'm not worried about it, you know? And, and I've seen my own sin in the mirror too many times to go out judging and ready to cast blame, but just praying, praying and knowing that God's going to provide in their lives and he's going to provide in ours. And so I just know this is a season that my joy could have left me whole, holy, just left me. And this week I just, you know, 
There's those moments where I feel like old man's coming up and like the flesh in me wants to just get angry about it and I'm frustrated in moments, but I just I have a joy that's it. When they steal everything we've got, it's like my joy's still going to be here. You know, we're, we're still going to be here doing what God's called us to do. So I don't, I don't know where you're at in your life. I don't know if it's, what's the path for cultivating joy, but here's three thoughts. A genuine encounter with the grace of God. A genuine, intimate encounter, not a religious experience, but an intimate encounter with the grace of God. And it's available on a daily basis. Some, some real repentance in our life where we come out of hiding, come out from behind the curtain, we come out from behind the tree, covering ourselves and saying, God, I've been sinful since birth. And going into just a daily walk, the abiding in Christ is not just about this moment, it's about, it's about Monday morning. What's tomorrow morning going to look like? What's Thursday night when your car gets broken into next week? God forbid. Right? I'm not not prophesying that, <laughs> metaphorically speaking. Um, but where's your heart going to be? If your life's been built on happiness and the stuff and, and the circumstances, then it's going to go really quick because it wasn't joy at all. It was happiness. But if we're abiding in Christ and we've got these friendships and people are just saying, oh, I'm so, I'm so sorry about what you're going through. I had some friends call me and say, I'm so sorry that happened, man. Let us know if there's anything we can do. Thankful for the body of Christ. And then some disciplines of letting go, like, it doesn't matter. I just, I'm letting go. God bless them. Hope they get the, the money to put up food on the table and not drugs in their body, you know, whatever. God's just. He's going to take care of all that. But I don't know where you're at today. And, uh, and I just want to provide some space this morning to let you pray, to let you have some time with God. Maybe it's to repent. Maybe to, it's to encounter his grace fresh and anew this morning. And just somehow in your life and in my life, we might walk away today and into this week and into this season anticipating, expecting but also just with a deeper sense of joy than what we've ever experienced. Not because of anything we've done, but because of encountering His grace, because of coming out of hiding, out of isolation into intimacy, and walking and abiding in Christ on a daily basis. I want to ask.